Welcome to the 15-Minute Pain Experience Podcast. I am your host, Dina Chopolis, the Chief Curator and Pain Coach at Pain to Possibilities, where we have been transforming pain experiences since 2018. Come visit us at paintopossibilities.com if you'd like to learn more. If you are listening on Apple Play or Spotify, please be sure to give us a rating and to subscribe for more content on chronic pain self-care management. Hello, and welcome to our episode all about fibromyalgia. This is part one of a two-part series exploring a broad-based approach to fibromyalgia. It is one of the best examples we have of the brain connection to pain. Today we're going to talk a little bit about what is fibro and how is it currently classified. We'll talk a little bit about what it's not and what it is. We'll talk about fibromyalgia from the perspective of our pain to possibilities pain management matrix. And we'll give you tips to help calm the nervous system and to get out of what we'll discover is a state of hypervigilance. So what is fibromyalgia? The name was derived from the Latin word fibro or fibrosis tissue and the Greek terms for myo or muscle and algia or pain, which describes the symptoms, but not the cause. It's currently classified under rheumatology. And if we were to define what rheumatology is, it is stated that rheumatic diseases are autoimmune and inflammatory diseases that cause your immune system to attack your joints, muscles, bones, and organs. And that is described from the Mayo Clinic. But it's not considered an autoimmune or an inflammatory disease. So what is it? The pain is not a result of the stimuli felt from the body being harmed. In other words, it's not an issue with the tissues. So how best do we describe fibromyalgia? Well, we can describe it as a hypervigilance disorder, which is more or less the processing of pain by the brain. What are the precursors? Well, from what we know so far, and what we'll discuss in this episode, is that there may be a tie-in slightly to genetics. But we do know for sure that stress or trauma in early life can lead to, over time, fibromyalgia. We also know that infection can often lead to fibromyalgia as well. So when the neurological system is learning pain early, over time, it becomes locked in this sympathetic dominant loop. In other words, your nervous system is always feeling there is a threat, which over time leads to physical consequences. Since there is no tissue damage, it's not an inflammatory disease like we mentioned, and it's not a muscle problem, even though that is often where it is felt. So what can we do? There are things that we can do to help with fibro symptoms at home. And this is why I think this is really important because we wanna get you back in the driver's seat and feel like you have some sort of control over the fibro symptoms. 
So we're going to talk a little bit about what I like to call the pain to possibility pain management matrix. And what this matrix essentially does is looks at many different symptoms or chronic illnesses from a broader perspective. And in this pain management matrix, and we're not going to deal with them all in one podcast, we're going to spread it out a little bit, but we're going to address sleep, self-soothing, nutrition, mindset, and movement. Let's start off with sleep. With fibro, even while sleeping, the brain still maintains the sympathetic dominant loop, therefore a lack of deep sleep. And for those of you who live with fibro, you know that sleep is often disrupted and unfortunately has this unbelievable cascade effect of the things that happen as a result of a lack of sleep, such as anxiety, depression, just lethargy, not having any energy the next day. Also, the pain amplifies. And unfortunately, sleep, as we all know and have heard so many times, is vital to our overall well-being, as it's our time to really heal the tissues and heal the brain. And because we know that fibro is very much linked to the brain, we need to, to figure out ways to increase the amount of deep sleep that we are getting. Sleep is also that time to come out of the fight or flight and to spend a little bit longer in that rest and digest or that parasympathetic dominant state. We like to look at sleep from eight strategic perspectives. Now, we do have a whole course on that. If you're looking for more information about a sleep strategy, we can help you there. But I think it's helpful in this opportunity to just showcase that there are many different avenues we can explore to help you have a better, more healing night's sleep. So by building your sleep strategy, then you can gain back a little bit more of that control and slightly change up that uh, pain experience that you currently are living with. And next we talk a little bit about self-soothing. Because we know that fibro is considered a hypervigilance disorder, we want to find as many ways as we can to help calm down the nervous system. And so if we can find time throughout the day to self-soothe, just like you would to take your medication, i.e. we're being intentional around setting up time within your day to really pay attention to what your nervous system is doing and to be able to work backwards, unwind some of that tension that may have been caused by that hypervigilance state. We want to allow the body to come out of the fight or flight response or that hypervigilant loop that we talked about earlier. So I'm going to recommend that you take some time to brainstorm some self-soothing activities that will help to mitigate your pain. Chances are pretty good you already have a repertoire of self-soothing activities like warm baths or cooler baths, depending on your situation, listening to calming music, listening to meditation apps, breathing, going for walks, connecting with people, all things that help you to feel a little less in that hypervigilant state. And just like I said earlier, just like taking your medication, set time for self-soothing where you are paying attention to that nervous system and you are helping to dial down that pain by slowing things down a little bit. Also a really big part of self-soothing is, and one of the most portable, the fastest and the easiest way 
to bring down that fight or flight response is breathing. And breathing really helps to bring down the stress hormones like cortisol. Breathing also helps to slow down that fight or flight response. So if it's possible to find even just five minutes a day, upwards to 30 minutes a day, where you are consciously breathing, and we're going to talk a little bit more about how to, and that's going to really help you to, again, dial down that pain dial. So I'm going to introduce you to what we call the four corners breath work. Now, this may be something you're doing already, but if you're not, it's really easy to do. If you will, take your time to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to get comfortable whether you might be lying down or sitting up or standing and walking, of course, with your eyes open and a soft gaze in front of you. Take breath in through your nose. And then slowly exhale through your mouth. Inhale through your nose. And slowly exhale through your mouth. Good. Now the four corners becomes, if you were to look at, let's say, a picture frame or the outline of a book, we're going to follow the outline of that book with our breath. And so if you visualize a book in front of you, you're going to follow the outside border with an inhale. Then you're going to hold your breath as your gaze goes across the top of the book. Eyes following down the opposite side as you exhale. And then finally, you hold that exhale, that emptiness as your eyes follow the bottom of the book. And you continue to do this, inhaling as your eyes follow up, hold the breath as you look across the top, exhale as your eyes follow the outline of the book down, and then hold your breath to take you back to the very first corner. And that, if you can do it for a good 5 to 30 minutes, will bring down the pain dial as well as help to calm our harm alarm. And I think one thing that's really important to know here is beyond the breath work is other ways that we can tap into uh, shifting out of that fight or flight response. And I'd love to introduce you to the vagus nerve. If you've never heard of the vagus nerve, it has nothing to do with vagus nevada. <laughs> it is the longest nerve in our body. And it has its fingers, so to speak, in so much of our organs and uh fascia and you name it in the brain, it is extensive. It is one of the integral parts of that gut-brain connection, which you may have heard about before. It connects the brain and the digestive system, amongst many others. It also innervates the diaphragm, and so that's where the breath work starts to affect brain and uh, mood and bringing down the fight or flight response. There's also some amazing research coming out around gut bacteria and how it can influence the vagus nerve as well. We have this whole beautiful environment inside of our digestive system. And inside this environment are billions and billions of microbes, beautiful, healthy microbes. And so in this bacteria, we feed so much of the rest of our system, including our brain. Now, when we don't have enough healthy bacteria in our gut, it can then influence things negatively. 
other thing that this gut-brain connection is really important for is mood. Anxiety and depression, unfortunately, often come hand in hand with fibro symptoms. There is also some promising research coming out around the vagus nerve and overall pain management, not just for fibro symptoms. I'm going to try and show you, or at least talk you through, some things that you can do. But why do we need to know about the vagus nerve? All right, and I quote, there is preliminary evidence that vagus nerve stimulation is a promising add-on treatment for treatment refractory depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, and inflammatory bowel disease. And I quote, again, there is preliminary evidence for gut bacteria to have beneficial effect on mood and anxiety, partly by affecting the activity of the vagus nerve. And one more important quote I'd like to share with you today. Since the vagal tone is correlated with capacity to regulate stress responses and can be influenced by breathing, its increase through meditation and yoga likely contribute to resilience and the mitigation of mood and anxiety symptoms. If we can find ways to gently stimulate the vagus nerve, and yes, you can do this at home, then we could have some control over the amount of pain that we experience through fibro symptoms. So for example, movement. Movement is a gentle way of stimulating your vagus nerve. And when I say movement, we'll talk a little bit more about movement because I know that sometimes um, exercise can be <laughs> a scary word. And I like to use the word movement instead because it doesn't mean you have to necessarily exercise. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. There are things you can do at home with rolling a small pliable ball in and around the vagus nerve of the neck. And so that will help to stimulate things as well. Your body posture also has much to do with how we stimulate the vagus nerve. And I'll also see if I can talk you through something here as well. And then of course, like we touched on earlier, breathing and breathing through the diaphragm will also very gently stimulate that vagus nerve, thereby decreasing the amount of pain that you're feeling. And then another way that we can stimulate the brain is through mindfulness-based stress reduction. If you were to look up mindfulness-based stress reduction, it would tell you all about the practice of meditation. Now, don't let that meditation word scare you. There are ways that you can do it, and you may even already be doing it without knowing it, in ways to find that mindfulness-based uh, practice. All right, on to nutrition and deficiencies. I honestly believe that with every chronic illness that we talk about, we need to discuss nutrition and deficiencies. Typically, for fibro, we now know that there are low levels of serotonin that come with fibro symptoms. Serotonin is made from the essential amino acid tryptophan. Tryptophan deficiency can lead to lower serotonin levels. And serotonin really is important when it comes to coming out of your fight or flight response. It's responsible for helping to calm the nervous system. It's also really very much an integral part of our sleep mechanics. And so if we are deficient in either tryptophan, we can't produce as much serotonin. Tryptophan must enter your body through your diet and is commonly found in foods such as nuts, cheese, and red meat. And 
likely you've heard of turkey somewhere along the line as well. As we touched on before, a good healthy gut environment is really positively impactful on your overall response to pain, as well as that vagus nerve that we talked about. We also mentioned that at this point, they're unsure if fibro is an inflammatory disease. There is some evidence that there is microinflammation inside the brain. They are now also looking deeper into perhaps root cause around fibro, and it may also involve inflammation. So if we know that there is no inflammation involved, then you do not have to follow an inflammatory diet. However, as we get further along and we learn more and more about fibro, it may come to the point where an inflammatory diet might be really beneficial. We do need to nurture a healthy gut bacteria with whole foods and perhaps some supplementation like probiotics. We know that vitamin D is also really plays an important role. Vitamin D has a critical role in modulating several inflammatory and pain pathways in addition to calcium homeostasis. And if you've listened to our other podcast where we talked about magnesium, you may recall that magnesium and calcium work together to really balance out homeostasis. Now, vitamin D is very much a part of that process as well, where if we have higher levels of calcium and lower levels of magnesium, calcium is a hardening mineral, magnesium is a softening mineral. And so if we have a higher level of calcium, and if we don't have enough vitamin D to really help balance those two out, then it's going to make sleeping harder. It's going to make things a little more rigid, therefore a little more painful. There are some observational studies that suggest an association between vitamin D deficiency and overall chronic pain, most promisingly in fibromyalgia. So if you are supplementing with a little extra vitamin D, then kudos to you. You can also at any point talk to your doctor or your main care provider and ask them about vitamin D deficiency as well. We are also learning that blood glucose levels are somewhat important to understand when it comes to fibromyalgia. In my humble opinion, I believe that blood glucose levels are integral to understanding as a baseline for all disease. Some fibro patients have a higher level of blood glucose almost in pre-diabetic levels or diabetic levels. Now that's not to suggest that all fibromyalgia cases will have a higher level of blood sugar, but I think it's something that's worth mentioning so that you could always have a conversation with your primary caregiver. So if we know that fibro is a hypervigilant disorder, how can we find ways through nutrition to help mitigate the pain? So we're going to talk a little bit about calming agents. If you've ever heard about GABA, GABA is a naturally occurring amino acid that works as a neurotransmitter in your brain. GABA is a supplement that you can buy over the counter at any health food store. It is a calming agent and I will often use it uh, in my kids who suffer from anxiety. It is very helpful. And I also use it for myself when it comes to sleep. Sometimes shutting down that brain can be a very challenging thing and GABA has absolutely helped me with that. There is also a really important nutrient, especially for fibro, it's called 5-HTP, which stands for 5-hydroxytryptophan. And it's a chemical byproduct of the protein building block L-tryptophan. So again, there's that tryptophan word. (laughs) 
you may notice that this is an important part of, again, producing more serotonin. In Canada here, CBD is now legal. So depending on where you live, CBD could be a great option to help calm the nervous system a little bit more. Now, there are companies that you can reach out to who are professionals in understanding CBD much better than myself, but I wanted to put it out there as an option. And then there is this amazing ancient medicinal herb called ashwagandha. And you can find this again over the counter at many health food stores. It's classified as an adaptogen, which means that it can help your body manage stress. It's a great way to help lower the cortisol levels that are there as a result of stress. It can also boost brain function, lower your blood sugar and cortisol levels, as I just mentioned. And it also helps fight symptoms of anxiety and depression. And as always, be sure to speak with your doctor or primary caregiver about supplementation. And finally, we're moving on to the last part of our matrix here, and it's all about movement. Because fibro is considered a hypervigilant disorder, we want to ensure the following when undertaking any sort of movement therapy. Movement is attached to something that you enjoy doing, such as gardening, walking, walking meditations, swimming, anything that you get joy out of doing. We don't want this movement to be a chore because it just does not set the brain up well for um, reducing the amount of pain that you feel perhaps when you exercise. So if we can attach it somehow to something that you really like doing, Another helpful tip is when movement is coupled with the breath, it helps to control the fight or flight response. So for example, Tai Chi, yoga, Pilates will all uh, allow the movement and the breath to work together. And again, like we talked about, the breath is really important in bringing down that fight or flight response. And the movement is important to help stimulate the nervous system in a healthy way. It's important to increase the amount of really good endorphins in your body to help with the anxiety and depression. We want to find movement that is gentle and mindful in its approach. Okay, we don't want to necessarily throw ourselves into an 80s aerobics class where that might heighten your, your stress response. <laughs> um, we also want to make sure that um, when we are doing any type of movement, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, that we are pacing ourselves. I'll explain, bear with me. One last thing that I think is really helpful is what I like to call, or what you'll hear sometimes out in the movement world is myofascial release. Basically, that's a way of getting in a very gentle amount of touch therapy with a small pliable ball. With any sort of hypervigilant or heightened state of nervous system, the muscles become really tight and sore. And that's often where the pain comes from. Not always, but it is one of the shadow effects of the fibro symptoms. And so one small thing you can try at home. If you have access to a small pliable ball, sometimes you can find them at the dollar store. And if you were to place it very gently on the side of your neck, Tilt your head slightly to one side and then just roll this soft pliable ball very gently across the side of your neck into the back of your neck and into the front, but away from avoiding the throat. Okay, and you just roll that ball side to side, feeling a little bit of warmth as you go. 
and then you take a break. And then of course you would do the same thing on the other side. That is a beautiful way to help trigger some nice gentle movement through the neck, but also the vagus nerve that we talked about before. And by doing that, you are helping to reduce that fight or flight response. All right. One thing we really need to address when it comes to chronic pain in general, but also specifically with fibromyalgia is the fear of movement. It is completely understandable because exercise or movement can sometimes bring about more pain, which over time can lead to the fear of movement. When it hurts, you don't want to do it. And so there are things and ways that we can navigate around that. Starting slow with a pacing plan to build confidence is the best way to get back to movement that you enjoy doing. And a pacing plan calculates specifically how long you can go for before the pain sets in. Now, again, I do have a program for pacing. So if you ever need that, we have it there for you. But essentially, you're basing your movement off time as opposed to pain. And that might really resonate for some of you because I know a lot of people in our community like to work hard when they have one of those great days where the pain is a little less. We essentially want to do is start slow. Be sure to pay attention to your thoughts. What thoughts are you telling yourself? Are you reinforcing your movement with positive reinforcement? Are you thinking the worst case scenario when it comes to your pain? Are you thinking that pain is meaning harm? We will want to flip those around. Pay attention to also where your focus is. If you are focusing on the pain, then that's going to amplify your pain as well. And we know that statistically from research that focus on your pain is going to make things worse. So how can you flip that around? When you're exercising, I would love for you to think about all the good that you are doing while you are moving your body. Keep reminding yourself that pain does not necessarily mean harm. Remind yourself that the movements you're doing, if you're following a pacing plan, is safe. And that the movements you are creating is bringing healthy nutrients to your joints. It's lubricating your joints. It's bringing blood flow to the area. And it's just helping to bring in those healthy endorphins as well. So focus on what the exercise is doing for you as opposed to what the pain is telling you. And finally, if you do suspect that you are fearful of movement... Cognitive behavioral therapy to address the fear of movement is a really smart way to go. It is a way that will address that fear and break it down into behaviors that will support a healthier approach to movement. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the mindset piece. Mindset is a part of everything we deal with with chronic pain, and it's no different for fibromyalgia. And considering our brain is involved in fibro, so too is the mindset. Mindfulness-based stress reduction is a tool that you can tap into. Now, it takes a little time to practice this skill set, but John Kabat-Zinn is the king of mindfulness-based stress reduction. Cognitive behavioral therapy, like we mentioned before, especially if fibro is coming from a traumatic experience as a young one, is also going to be a very 
important cog in the healing wheel. Sometimes if we know what our pain triggers are, then we can work around them. And so I always like to recommend that if you can map out what your triggers are for a high pain day, and then spend an equal amount of time understanding what are your low pain day ingredients as well. I don't want to say triggers, but what what constitute a good day for low pain and what constitutes a tough day for pain. And the more you get to know what those pieces are, the easier it then becomes to mitigate and work around those. And finally, this is something I would love to explore more. But I think what's really important is the research that's coming out of Australia around pain management is really, really powerful stuff. Dr. Lorimer Mosley is one of the lead pain researching doctors, and he has designed this approach to pain management where he calls DIMS and SIMS. DIMS stands for danger in me, and SIMS stands for safety in me. And we really need to be able to convince the brain and understand that there are certain things that will create safety, and there will always be things that create dangers. Unfortunately, in a hypervigilant disorder, our brain is constantly looking for that danger versus safety. And it oftentimes, unfortunately, will lead the brain to believe that a safety is in fact a danger when it's really not. And so it's that misconception that can often happen. And so when we deal with mindset, I think one thing that I'd like to leave you with today, your brain is a very malleable plastic entity. And so even if you've had years of fibromyalgia and years of pain behaviors, there is the opportunity to retrain the brain. And it is absolutely possible to be able to experience pain differently to interpret pain differently. We want to be able to desensitize the brain through awareness and cognitive behavioral therapies, coupled with all the other things that you're learning here today, like movement and nutrition and self-soothing, will all help to mitigate or dial down those fibro symptoms. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have a little homework for you before you go. I would love for you to choose one aha item that you may have picked up from today's episode. And I encourage you to start exploring a little bit more about what you learned today. And you'll find lots of information out there. You can always reach out to me at Dina at pain number two possibilities.com. We will be exploring in episode two, a little bit more about fibromyalgia because there is more research coming out. And to be honest, it's pretty darn exciting. So thank you again for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful day.